0: Hey, everybody, this is Wants to See. It. We're rolling out CEO to CEO, the way to go. Uh, when you think about the movement that we are all seeing, there's a movement asunder. We're obviously in a state of emergency. We clearly have a mental evaluation that is going on for the entire country to see. But for those of you who don't know, there is a brother of mine, a brother truly who has checked and double-checked this society. Uh, One that we all need to continue to support, get behind, and love. Um, I love him. I want us as brothers to be able to have an emotional language about what we do. More than anything, get your dome right. At the end of the day, we have to grow emotionally. We have to be able to share our pain, to have accountability partners. You know, when I listen to, and, and I can be proud, uh, a brother, really understand that there's something there. I know for a fact we've been able to lean into you for the last few years to understand that mental health is an issue that we have. Can you share with the Charlemagne why, how, and even the foundation that literally has a beautiful goal to give us some mental freedom? yeah much thank you
1: um thank you for having me and I mean. You know, the, the how for me is just that. Yeah, I, I wanted to be a better, better human. You know, and like I, I knew, I knew a lot of people who, you know, were going to therapy, and it was just one of those things I would always just just ask about. You know, because you know when somebody's really doing the work on themselves, you can see it. You know, when 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 that healing starts to happen in a person, you can see it. It's like a like an inner glow they have that just makes you gravitate towards them and you know I'm I'm a curious person, so I just start asking questions and um you know in 2010 I had got diagnosed clinically diagnosed with anxiety and I didn't even realize that I had you know actual anxiety because at the time I had just gotten fired from radio for the fourth time and I was back living at home with my mom at like 32 years old and I think my daughter was like two and my wife, who was my, my girlfriend at the time, she had moved back with her mom and her dad. And you know, I remember driving down I-26 in South Carolina, feeling that same feeling that I've always felt my, my whole life. Like I'm having a heart attack, heart palpitations, going crazy, shortness of breath. I got to pull over, drink some water, take some deep breaths. I'm like, I'm going to the hospital tomorrow, you know, again, to make sure there's nothing wrong with my heart. Even though I had been to the emergency room three, four times in my life, just thinking I'm having a heart attack. And you know that was the first time that a doctor said to me, after telling me my heart is fine and I got an athlete's heart, he said, "Yo, do you do you do you have uh, do you have anxiety? You suffering from panic attacks? It sounds like you're describing an anxiety attack to me." And I'm like, "I don't think so." And he was like, "Yo, you stressed out about something?" And I was like, "Hell yeah!" And so you know, in, in my mind, I'm like, "Okay, all I got to do is get another job, you know, get out of my mama house, get back in position." And everything will be good. Next job I got was the Breakfast Club. And, you know, four years later, five years later, after having tremendous success and, you know, New York Times bestseller and nationally syndicated, all of this stuff, more money than I've ever seen in my life. Still having those panic attacks, you know, and I don't know why. So it can't be the money. So, you know, it was just this time. It was it it came through a moment of peace. I was on vacation. And I was sitting by the pool and I was watching all my family and all my friends. And that was the first time in a long time I didn't have any anxiety, no you know, depression, anything. Just, I felt free and light. And I was like, man, how do I feel like this all the time without having to take vacations all the time? And so I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna go to therapy. I'm gonna just start, I'm just start going. And that's what I did. I just started going once a week, you know, uh, every, every Friday. Um, And, and, you know, of course, the days change, you know, over the years, but it's just like I just started to realize how much I was unpacking, you know, because, you know, when you start going to therapy, man, you start going down the rabbit holes. So you go there for one thing. You think you're going to deal with your anxiety, you're about to depression or your PTSD. Next thing you know, you realize you got all this unhealed trauma, you know, from childhood, you know, issues with your father or whatever it may be for me, you know, for me, with my father, just different things, different layers that I was peeling back. And so, you know, I've been on that, that journey to healing and
0: and wholeness. since. Well, um, that's my long pause. Uh, I I think accountability and and talking about an emotional ecosystem. Um, when you think about fatherhood, um, abandonment, loneliness, and not knowing how to process those emotions. We mask them, we buy things, we do things with people and we're not necessarily our best selves. We don't know how to feel about ourselves when no one's there to be accountable, explain those things and in years past and we don't have a healthy practice like therapy. That's right, And so you start a foundation, you know, but you, you start a foundation for mental health. Why? Well, you know, for me,
1: um, like I said, you know, when I was going on my, my own journey, you know, and as, as you start going on your own journey, you know, you start to meet so many different people. Like I started to meet so many different, you know, brothers and sisters who would come up to me and tell me. I started going to therapy because of you. Or my husband started going to therapy because of you. Or my boyfriend started going to therapy because of you. Or my brother, or my uncle. And you know, um, you know, thank you just for speaking about it. And then I started meeting, you know, a lot of people that were already doing the work, right? So you got organizations in Philadelphia who I shout out all the time, you know, like Black Men Hill. And you know, Black Men Hill, they actually provide, you know, free therapy. For black men in Philadelphia. I read an article about them in the, uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer. That's how I got put on to them. And, you know, when I went to go reach out to them, I, I they was already reaching out to me via DM. So I bought them on Breakfast Club. And, you know, I, I I funded some of their efforts, you know, just to just to give some brothers some therapy. And, um, you know, uh, South Carolina State University, which is my mother's alma mater, I opened up I opened up an endowment fund for them last year. Um, I gave them a quarter million dollars. And it was for uh, people who were going to major in either English because that's my mom's uh, major because she was an English teacher. Communications, of course, because I do radio, TV and anything in the mental mental health field. So I, I, I'm already donating. my donate money to silence, to shame and all of these different organizations. So I just said to myself, man, since I'm already a, a, a conduit for people to come to, you know, why not create a foundation? So we can raise our goal is 100 million dollars over the next five years and just keep partnering with these you know different black-led organizations and and, and experts to you know invest in invest in, in, in mental wealth i call it mental wealth because i really do feel like it's an, an investment into you know your, your mental wealth i think you know we say health is wealth right so mental wealth and our three pillars for, for the organization the mental wealth alliance is train teach and treat you know because I, we want to prepare thousands of, of Black people to become research and clinical service providers in psych- psychology or social work or other related fields. And we want to do that through training and by continuing to establish scholarship funds like I did at South Carolina State, you know, to provide training to increase the number of mental health care professionals because we want to take it from 4% to 14% to at least reflect, you know, the population of Black people in this country. And they got to be, you know, culturally competent, you know, therapists um, and, we, and the other pillar is teach, you know, and because we're advocating for the implementation of SEL and mental health literacy in public schools from kindergarten to 12th grade. And the other uh, pillar is treat because we want to support, you know, these culturally competent organizations like Black Men Hill in providing free therapy because I want to provide free therapy to more than 10 million Black people over the next five years just by supporting, you know, organizations that already exist and, you know, helping us. The funny the establishment and new organization. So, for me, it's already work that I was doing. I'm just like, yo, let's just let's just make it a make, make it official through a foundation.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think it's um, you know it's easy. It, it seems uh, smooth, but I think it's giving black people a mental practice. Um, we've got to have a healthy mental health practice. You cannot be angry and not understand that you need to practice and get with the mental health professional. And I think that for those who don't know, they may not know why cultural competency is important. Oh man. You might wanna share with them why it's important to have a black therapist, a therapist in your community. Yeah, I
1: mean, for me, my my mindset, when I first, first started therapy, I said I didn't want somebody who may have the same biases um, are the same traumas as me. Cause you know, when you black in this country waking up every day, waking up every day and just existing, you know, can, can can cause trauma. And you know, it's so it's so interesting, man. Cause you know, when you start talking about the things that you're going through, it's people that are come to you and have these conversations with you that you didn't even think like mentors of mine that I look at and I'm like, yo, this is the strongest black man I know telling me that they feel the same way when they get in their car. And it, this is, these are former police officers. I got, I, got a, I got a mentor who's a former police officer, who's a black man, That's like, he's like 63, I think. But in his mind, even though he's a former police officer, he still feels like a target when he gets, when he gets in his car, right? So it's like, he was talking to me about his, his grandson, now his grandson, he's on the phone with his grandson, and his grandson's phone, Just cut off and it was like two in the morning grandson was leaving his girlfriend's house so he said immediately his mind goes to man what if he got pulled over by the cops and they about to kill my grandson like why like why is that a thought right but that's what being black in america is so you know we constantly got this cortisol you know shooting off in our veins so in my mind i was like i didn't want to you know sit down and talk to a a black therapist because i wanted to talk to somebody who had a totally different experience than mine to make sure I'm not tripping, right? So I just I was like, man, maybe I'm tripping. Like maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm just overthinking this, or maybe I'm just paranoid for no reason. So five years ago, my mindset was I want to sit down with, I wanted an Asian woman, because I wanted somebody that I felt like did not understand my experience at all. But man, if you think trying to find a black therapist is hard, try to find an Asian woman, right? So I ended up. Um, just getting with this, getting with a, with a white woman who, who was really good, you know, really good. But she was really good because she was more of a sounding board for me, for me just to get off and like she understood. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and that, that kind of made me feel a, a little different, right? Okay, like there's white people out here that get it on an emotional level. Like, right now we're in this. This this place where everybody gets it kind of like they're trying to get it on a corporate level, right? Like everybody's trying to have diversity in Hollywood and, you know, spend money with black media and, you know, make sure that their staff and their board got black people. But that's professional. I'm talking about on a personal, everyday, emotional level. Do you understand what a black person goes through? You could never truly understand. But do you have an inkling? Right. Like you're not gaslighting us. Saying things like America's not a racist country and stuff like that like you're like you're like you do you really get it and um she seemed to really get it, so it let me know that that I wasn't crazy, but you know as you as you do it, do more therapy, yeah, you do want to sit down with somebody that's culturally competent because that that white therapist may understand, but I don't think they can truly help you unpack right because there's certain emotions that you would have to have felt and experienced and learned coping mechanisms for them. And you can only be black to truly understand. So a white person can't really tell me how to woosah from certain things, right? I can talk to them about it and they can understand and make me feel like, man, just hearing a white person say, oh, that's fucked up. Things shouldn't be like that. That's, that's you know, relieving. But I'm talking about as far as like dealing with it and healing that trauma, you got to talk to somebody who's dealt with the same kind of trauma. But so that's why, to me, you know, having having a, a culturally competent black therapist is important.
0: You know, the um, thing about a few of my friends who are psychologists and sociologists and um, all of the black health professionals. I mean, if COVID hadn't shown us anything, is that black health professionals are in such a need, Mm -hmm. you know, they're sitting there having these conversations. Well, black people aren't going to take the shot. Well, let's see. We gave it to the people in the hospital. We didn't have a problem with that. But to that person cleaning your room, to that person serving you food, to the person riding the bus, they had to wait to get their shot, but they had to serve you. So Mm -hmm. we back to the end of the line and you don't feel like I'm even traumatized getting the help I need. And you know, I'm out here first, frontline serving you feeling like a servant. So I think traumatically, it's a constant, you're last. It's a constant, you're not respected. It's a constant beg of some sort for my tax dollars, for my respect, for my family, for my children. So I think the thing that you're doing is allowing us to be able to share, honestly amongst ourselves, things that we are ashamed of. Word. I'm having anxiety. I, I need to be able to tell you man, I love you, man. What's up? Because I might need to lean into your ear so you can tell me I'm okay for the moment. That's right. And then yeah, my dad did not tell me enough. I love you. So you know what? I tell brothers, you got to give what you didn't get. You cannot give what you got.
1: Man, you I,
0: literally are man. gonna have to give what you didn't get. Yeah. Like, like, like you can't heal giving what you got.
1: Yeah, I can't. I can't. I can't pour into you if I wasn't even poured into. Like you know. And mm. that's 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 even now. Like you know. I'm learning how to um, definitely deal with my anxiety, but, you know, I was talking to Sarah Jake Roberts because I heard her talk about how, you know, every new level of your success is gonna bring new anxiety. And I was just like, man, I asked her, why, why is that? And she was just like, it's the fear of the unknown, right? It's the things it's the things that you don't understand. And that's what it, like, something like fatherhood, that's that for me, because I don't want to make the same mistakes my father made, you know, with my wife, all my children right so it's like yeah that, that definitely does you know bring a, a a different level of anxiety and like I, my pops man I remember sitting in therapy one time and just bawling right just bawling like because it was like one of those breakthroughs for me like the reason I'm upset at my pops and I love my pops do not get me wrong like I, I've always historically loved my pops I just hated you know how he 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 did my mom, right? You know, him and my mom got a divorce. He had a whole other family, you know, that that type of shit. he's an old player, old, old 1960s, 70s player, right? So he had a whole other family three miles away in the same, in the same, same hometown. And plus, you know, a couple kids all through, you know, South Carolina, all up and down the east coast. But I remember um sitting in therapy, bawling, because I realized like, he never taught me anything right like he would you know he don't get me wrong he, he handed me the autobiography of Malcolm X and you know he gave me a message to the black man by Elijah Muhammad and he would make me sit down and watch Minister Farrakhan speeches and he would put little you know he would say little things here and there that I would pick up on but I'm talking about like he would punish me for not knowing things he didn't teach me like I remember one time in particular I was um I was, I was following him, right? I mean, I'm a new driver. I'm like 16, 17 years old. So I'm following him. I'm driving a car. He's driving in front of me. He runs the stop sign, so I run the stop sign. I'm following him. So then he pulls over to the side of the highway. I pull over to the side of the highway. He gets out. I roll the window down. He slaps the shit out of me and tells me to wake up. And I'm like, well, goddamn. You know what I'm saying? I'm, and I'm I'm following you. I remember you I remember that vividly now, but I'm I'm following you. So I'm doing what you're doing. You ran the stop sign. I don't know how to drive. I'm 16, 17 years old. You ain't never taught me how to drive. You understand what I'm saying? Right. So it's just like he, he, he would he would he would he would punish me for things that, you know, he didn't necessarily teach me and I I I, I held that against him for so long on top of the things that, you know, I felt like he did he did wrong to my mom but I mean I love him and and what 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 made me you know heal so to speak um, with that situation was realizing that he was just a man that was that was you know playing with the cards he was dealt you know what I'm saying he was doing the best he could that's all like he dealt with substance abuse you know he dealt with with drug abuse you know he was dealing with his own mental health issues, which he finally told me when I started talking about mine. So I think it was 2000, let me see. When I put out one it was 2018. So yeah, it was Thanksgiving in 2018, and um, I had a little cousin who killed himself. Uh, he was 25 years old, and he had tried to kill himself four times. Like he, he cut his wrist, did everything, cut his wrist, shot, shot himself in the stomach, took pills. And when, when he you know, finally completed uh, suicide. He had shot himself in the in the in the mouth. Put the gun in his mouth and shot himself. And between, and he's always like do little odd jobs with my dad. And my dad does construction. So between that and reading my book, my dad just told me like, man, you know, I, I've been reading your book, man, and you know, just seeing what happened to, you know, little cuz He was like, yo, man, I, I went to therapy, you know, two or three times out of the week in my life. And I was on 10 to 12 different medications. You know what I'm saying? And like, he just, he told me that. And when he told me that, it just put a lot in perspective because I just started thinking about a lot of different things that I remember when I was younger, like, you know, him sleeping with his knife and his gun by his bed because he said the devil was coming to get him. That's just paranoia, that's just anxiety. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he I, I, I saw him deal with a lot of these things when I was young but I just didn't know what it was right and, and you think about that even with your grandma and stuff like that when your grandma said I gotta take my nerve medicine my nerve my my nerves bad like that's that's all that's all anxiety so it's just like yeah you know like like I can, I, I, I can't pour into people what I didn't get a you know poured into myself but you know'm I'm, I'm
0: learning uh well you know I, I think the the other thing is, for me, when I'm talking to, clearly, I've got a couple of brothers I talk to at least uh, every day, if not every other day, we kind of call ourselves the accountability brothers. Um, but literally, it what I do, obviously, as a practice, is try not to build any new prisons. Like what you call anxiety and, and situations. For me, I work hard not to build any new prisons for myself. Because I put myself in prison in a minute. If I'm, I'm struggling and don't feel like the, the cash is where I want, I didn't meet that place, I put myself in, you know, a, a shame prison. I'm looking, I'm feeling like, you know, I'm, I got a year older I may not accomplish. I got doubt on my face. It's over my spirit. I'm not feeling as good. I'm not working out. Put myself in another prison. And what I learned was, I was there was a cycle to my whole experience, that I would build prisons for myself and their emotional prisons. My abandonment, somebody's not in my life, that that was a prison and I had the abandonment prison. I would just build up, I'd go in there because I felt like I needed that person. And that person may not have known or it might be a relationship with that versus sharing emotional language. And that's what therapy did for me. It allowed me to learn languages to tell people I do have an expectation if we have a relationship. And I tell that to my team. Yes, there's going to come a time that if it's somebody that I believe in and love, you may not have to like them. But I'm going to do something for them because they depend on me to be who I am to them. You know, and I think that for me, when I'm saying brothers is our dads like you came to, you know, my dad would had by the time the I love you. I'm giving it to him because. Clearly, he had dementia by then. Wow. So all I have is a video, Charmaine, where I'm literally making sure he's in the last two years of his life. And I'm videoing every moment that I can just so he could hear it and I still would be able to think about when I wanted him to say it. And White America made the Everybody Wants to Be Like Their Dad commercial, but they never made the Black one. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, damn!" And, and there's so much of that that Peter Pan and Fly—they never no real brothers being Peter Pan. But here I am, the one thing that I wanted. My mom always said, "I love you," but my dad—I had to get a, my, get my own recording so that I didn't feel like I was a little boy with him. Because sometimes you not only you go back to sixteen, you go back to seven. <laughs> I'm trying to make sure that I'm with him, saying. I love you so that now, because he's passed, I can at least tap in and remember, you know what? We did say it to each other before we split, you know? And so I tell brothers, you know, I didn't take a big trip with my dad. And I felt bad thinking that out of all the people that I, I treated, out of all the people, no matter how I felt about it, I could have taken him on a big trip. And so I believe in giving what I didn't get. I believe in taking down my prisons and telling people and having accountable friends. So when I'm off, somebody say, what's going on? Because I need somebody to ask me. I'm on an emotional recovery for the rest of my life. And I got to have people who can make sure that I don't destroy me, because that's what mental health does. It will have you destroy, which you described is a young brother who literally was on a destructive path that needed rescuing. And it was full time and it was the level of treatment that somebody had to be around the clock because the pain, the anxiety, the animosity, no dad, lack of respect, fear of leaving the house, the circumstances, debt, aggressiveness, misconfusion, you know, alienated and feeling like that as a young person. You just want to check out like they really ain't got no good spots for me. That's right. I always got to beg for what's mine. I drink your product, I drink your soda, but you don't want to think about my community. That's right. You're, you're giving all the tennis shoe names to guys that play, but you won't get no all-stars to my community, you know, academic all-stars. Why don't you do that? Build up my community. You know if I'm born in a poor neighborhood, I got a predeterminate all of a sudden. That's right. The police going to profile me when I'm in my own hood, but you, bought, you knew I was born to this hood how could society treat us like this that's traumatic
1: that's right and a lot of times man we um you know we we become what we hate you know and i always tell people if you don't deal with your trauma your trauma going to deal with you and you know that trauma man would w- hurt people we we end up hurting others and the people that we end up hurting are usually the ones that look just like us the closest ones to us and that's that's the real trick right the real trick is that you got a white supremacist system that traumatized the hell out of black people. And we took that trauma right back to our own communities and, you know, started putting that trauma on each other. Because that's what energy is. Energy is, Sir Isaac Newton said the law of energy is energy is never lost or destroyed. It just merely transferred from one party to the next. So you got this traumatic, you got this, this group of people that's been traumatized. And now all we do is traumatize each other. That's the, that's the real you know,
0: technology in it all. Yeah, I, I find that the studying of our history, the strengthening and the radicalizing of our minds for brotherhood, family, uh, things that are even in this movement. I like that and I don't want to leave that, but I, I think even being a publisher in the hold state on, on, of emergency. Hold on, hold on one second. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Uh, ready yeah so you know um trauma healing uh emotions but you're giving voice you have given voice to so many you are now a publisher state of emergency um talk about giving voice and opportunity and how important it is because it's not just the publishing it's the podcast
1: well um you know, I, I feel like um, if I'm doing something that's that's only benefiting me, it's not big enough. You know, um, I've I've always been the person, and I, I've said this throughout my life. I would rather throw throw assists than score points. You know, it's little different elements I take from you know, my mom, my grandma, my dad, you know, because my dad always had like a, a, a business, right? So my dad had a fish market that we all used to be in when I was young, you know? And my dad would have like a little sugar shack, a little sugar little, little sugar shack in the country. We, you, you know, you're selling illegal alcohol and, you know, frying fish and all of that type of stuff. But even my grandma, what I saw, what I always saw them do was, was give. You know, and my grandma would always say manners will take you where money won't. And when I used to like be around my dad, just watching him, he was the life of the party. Right. Because he always he always had something to give. And um, I just always thought that was cool. I'm not like I always thought that was dope. I always thought it was dope when I would see, you know, somebody buy out the bar or somebody like buy everybody. I remember one time, I, I, you know, and that's just how why me and Lil Duval are probably so close. I watch him do things like this. I saw him buy everybody food in Waffle House. So I've always enjoyed just assisting people, you know what I mean? And, and you know, now I have different language for it. So I call it pouring into people. Um, but man, honestly, it just, it just fulfills me, right? And so I've always, my job, my job is a, is, is, is platform. So I've always had a radio show and now you do podcasts and you do TV. And it's like, for me, if I can provide, you know, somebody the opportunity to lift up whatever they're doing, I'm going to do it. And, you know, I just been blessed. Thank God I've been blessed um, to have success in, in, in certain fields. Right. So when you talk about the publishing aspect of it, I put out two books, you know, my first book, Black Privilege, was a New York Times bestseller. It was on the bestsellers list for like, eight, 10 weeks or something like that. I think longer, I don't even remember now, but, you know, it sold a lot of copies, right? My second book, Shook One, you know, it's it sold a lot of copies, you know, that, and, and, and some people say it started a conversation about, you know, mental health in the black community. And then with The Breakfast Club and my podcast, other authors that come on the show, when they come on the show, they see their books get a bump. So these book publishing companies, they take note of all of that. They see all of that. They're like, well, wow, this guy, he sells his own books. He can help other people sell his books. So when it came time for me to, you know, get a third book deal, yeah, I could have took a big ass check. I could have got a big, super huge check, right? Just for me, but it's like, nah, how about I take less money and say, hey man, I want a book imprint. A book imprint? Yeah, I want to be able to publish Black voices like myself, you know? uh, I want to create safe spaces you know, for these so-called unsafe voices. You know what I mean? Like, I want to create. I want to tell these black stories. I want to help these people who are telling these unique black stories. I want to be able to help them get their get their stories stories out. And you know, Simon and Schuster—they've been great partners with me since my first book, Black Privilege. So they was absolutely positively with it, right? So it's just like, you know, people see all of this stuff now, like because I think we announced it. We announced that the book imprint happened last. We launched it last October, but, you know, Tamika Mallory's book just came out this May 11th. But just, this wasn't something that I thought about six months ago. This wasn't something I thought about a year ago. This is something that I thought about two years ago. You know what I mean? And it just takes time for
0: all these deals to come into fruition. So just, as an OG, I'm saying, nah, it, it, it was planted. Um, you know, you think about all the uh, uh, things that you talk about, your dad smacking you. But you live through it. Yeah. yeah. The love that that, that, that it it says. And even as we, you know, feel a miss, there's something that he gave you. There's some of him in you that you can't take back out. That's what I learned about my dad as I forgave him for who he couldn't be to me. Like, you know, I just got to forgive you because you're going to be my dad. That's all I got. There's nobody else. There's nobody else that says it. And, um, you know, he gave you something. And so when I was listening to you talk about that, he was a builder. Yeah, and he did a- every, every little brick, no matter what it is, genetically, there's a manifestation. And he's like, well, my son's in publishing. That if he's in media, it includes everything. And so it's going to come his way. Mm-hmm. Because that's what is supposed to come. Allah is going to bless him, and it's going to be bountiful. So it, it's happening. And, and I say that to say when you put in these seeds, they're coming back out. And a lot of what you see was going to happen
1: mm-hmm. because
0: you've actually had it in you as a family. Because mm-hmm. what family is what you talking about? Your mother going to college. A lot of folks don't have moms that went to college at all. Yeah.
1: She was an English teacher. Like my mom, my mom, my mom was the person who told me, you know, read things that don't pertain to you. That's what she would say to me all the time. Read things that don't pertain to you. So, like, you know, yeah, you see a book about Malcolm X, the uh, uh, Honorable Elijah Muhammad, of course, we're going to read. We're going to read Message to the Black Man. But are you going to read Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret by Judy Bloom. You know, are you going to read? You know, Ramona Quimby, Age Eight by Beverly Cleary. Are you going to read, you know, my book of Bible stories? Because my mom was a Jehovah's Witness, too. So that was me. I was picking up all the Watchtowers, the Awakes, the my book of Bible stories, and, you know, grabbing the Quran, because my dad had that, and, you know, sitting down watching the Farrakhan speeches and watching the Source Awards, you know what I mean? So I was, I, and watching ESPN and, and watching Golden Girls, you know what I mean? So I was just taking all of these different, you know, things in. So, yeah, you're right. I got, I got, I got a little, I got, you know, I'm 50% my mom and my dad, the divine feminine and the sacred masculine.
0: Uh, yeah. And, 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 and belief in the divine and, and that, and that is something that is, if you don't have anything else, when I think about how prophetic in your name, how prophetic in just hearing the, the lineage of your family and the presence, even in, my dad's imperfection, you know, my dad was a preacher. So in all the imperfection there, they still believed and gave us faith when there was hopelessness. And I think that a lot of times when I hear people say your name and I think about what you're giving the community, I just want them to know how there is a divine presence in your life and that you've always acknowledged it and that it was connected. And that all of us, even to get our lives right, we're gonna have to be able to pray Meditate and have some divine principles if we plan to heal in our lives so that we can be closer to the divine as we move forward.
1: That's right. We've launched
0: blackbookstore.com. We're, we're obviously carrying uh Tamika's book. I appreciate the time we spent together, brother. Uh, looking forward, forward to it. Uh, as always,
1: and hey, please, all uh, you know, I want everybody you know to go out there and get Tamika's book, man. State of Emergency How
0: to Win in the Country We Build is available everywhere that you buy books now. That's right. And blackbookstore.com and any other provider, uh, but support some black bookstores. So for me, uh, I want us to make sure that we keep our currency close. Charlemagne to God, Munson and Steve, rolling out. Much love, my brother. Munson, thank, thank you, King. Peace. Peace.